Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Trish, your bartender. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender. And today's case we're going to be doing is the case of Rita Crundwell. Mm -hmm. That's how we're saying it. Sorry if it's wrong. We do apologize. But I'm not familiar with this case. All I saw on the spreadsheet was something about fraud, so I'm a little excited. So <laughs> It's slightly reminiscent of uh, the fruitcake fraud episode that I love very dearly. <laughs> that one was super fun. So in the name of that, this is another fun-ish episode. Nice. So definitely grab yourself a drink and get ready for the episode. another round of drinks with your bartender for today, Trish. And today I'm doing yet another pumpkin beer. This one is from Prairie Brewing Company, which I've become a big fan of in this like past like year or so. They make really great sours, which are like the beers I tend to go towards if I'm not doing like a stout or something. I do love a good sour. And this one is their Pumpkin Pie Treat. It is a sour ale with pumpkin pie spice blend and toasted marshmallow flavor. And it was really good. It wasn't overly sweet. And it wasn't, like, overly pumpkin either, I'd say. I really liked this one, which is shocking because right. I don't like beer. <laughs> but to me, it was, like, very sour yeah. And then slightly pumpkin pie-ish. Yes. So definitely recommend getting this if you can get prairie in your area. Um, I know it's already out, so it should be out for the rest of spooky season as long as it stays in stock. And yeah, give it a try. Let us know what you think. If you have any other like pumpkin beers or something like that that you want me to try because it'll definitely be me trying and Sloan <laughs> getting told if she'll like it or not <laughs> let me know Rita Humphrey Cronwell was born on January 10th 1953 the daughter of Ray and Caroline Humphrey Rita grew up on her family's farm in Dixon Illinois Dixon is a city of around 15,000 people 100 miles southwest of Chicago. Although the Humphreys were a family of modest means, Caroline loved showing quarter horses, a passion that Rita inherited from her. She, Rita was popular and smart, an honor roll kind of gal, and graduated from Dixon High School in 1971. During her junior year of high school, Rita began working at the Dixon City Hall as a work-study student. After graduation, she planned on attending community college, but she was able to land a job working as a secretary for Dixon's mayor instead. In 1971, Rita won second place in a halter horse category at the county fair, and her passion for equines grew. She wanted to revive the family's name in the horse world. And on October 12, 1974, Rita married Jerry L. Crunwell, and they divorced in 1986 after nearly 12 years of marriage 
with Rita citing mental abuse and frequent arguments as the reasoning behind it. Jerry has zip to do with this whole story, and there's like no information on him or their marriage out in the World Wide Web, so I just wanted to drop this info real quick before getting into the story and the reason why her name changed to Cronwell. So, in 1978, Rita Cronwell began showing American Quarter Horses. Quarter Horses are an American breed of horse that excels at sprinting short distances. I don't really know shit about horses, so, like, I did have to look that up. Um, But the name comes from the ability to outrun other horse breeds in races of a quarter mile or less. Some have been clocked at speeds up to 44 miles per hour. And the American Quarter Horse is the most popular breed in the United States with almost 3 million living American Quarter Horses registered in 2014. You've probably seen a Quarter Horse if you've been to a rodeo, horse show, or even a ranch or farm. It's just kind of like a golden retriever of horses. You've definitely seen them. In 1983, Rita was appointed the treasurer and comptroller for Dixon, a job she held for almost three decades. In this position, she managed finance and accounting departments and supervised two clerks underneath her. Rita had a stellar reputation, and that's not sarcasm for once. One of the city commissioners praised her stewardship of city finances, saying, quote, she looks after every tax dollar as if it were her own, end quote. Even so, the city experienced several financial shortfalls through her reign. Throughout the 80s and the early 90s, Rita appeared to live modestly and within her salary. During the day, she often would travel back and forth between her job and her modest farm to help with the chores. In 1985, she won both the Indiana State Quarter Horse Championship and the National Texas Classic State Hunter Under Sadie Championship, leading Rita to purchase three more horses in 1989. And horses are not a cheap hobby to have. By any means. In the late 90s, she moved on to the national level in competition uh, competition in the quarter horse industry and began construction projects on her properties to develop her dream of building a first-class horse farming business. After inheriting her family home property after her mother's death, she began making massive changes to the 6.9-acre property. In 1997, she built horse stables on that property, and in 2000, she completely overhauled the house. She more than doubled the living space to 3,484 square feet and added an in-ground pool on her modest budget, mind you. Rita then bought, in installments, the 87.8-acre RC Quarter Horses, later known as Rita's Ranch in Dixon, from a family member for $540,000. She paid the first installment in 2002 and the second final installment in 2011. Once again, $540,000. Where is this money coming from? In 2006, she built on the property a 19,584-square-foot horse barn that included an arena, an office, stalls, and storage space. Then in 2007, she bought another 43 acres adjacent to this property. She removed the existing house on the property and built a new two-story house. Rita also bought 81 acres of farmland and 7.5-acre ranch in Wisconsin, Rita had built an empire for breeding and showing championship horses, but the question is, how did she fund this extravagant lifestyle on a civil worker's salary? Yeah, yeah, that the, uh, 
That's the question. <laughs> On December 8th, 1990, Rita opened a secret bank account named the Reserve Sewer Capital Development Account, also known as RSCDA. Okay. So that's what I'm going to call it from here on out. Which was a personal bank account that appeared to be a city account. <laughs> so Rita would have money deposited into another account called the Capital Development Fund. Then she would create false state invoices and then write checks from the fund payable to the treasurer, which she would deposit into the RSCDA account. According to federal investigators, this relatively uncomplicated scheme went on for 22 years. On average, Rita stole nearly $2.5 million per year from the city. In 1991, she stole $181,000. Meanwhile, in 2008, she managed to embezzle $5.8 million. Why is this sounding like the Pritchard water scandal? <laughs> Oh, I will probably get into that one eventually because that one, wow, that one hits close to home and it's kind of funny too. Like it's yeah. not funny. It's a horrible, it's a horrible thing because Pritchard's a very like, I don't want to say lower, low, but like they're like not like the best area around here. They're definitely like, you have a lot of your like. I, don't, I guess poverty. I would say line. low income. Yeah, it is, it like is, low income. Yeah. That's where a lot of them, like a lot of them from our city, live. And there was a big scandal this year that popped up, and it was it like all unfolded like through the media, and it was crazy. You go to work and be like, "Did you see what happened?" <laughs> yeah. So maybe one of us will cover that one soon. Probably me because I keep stumbling into these frauds. Right. <laughs> Uh, anyways, <clears throat> so clearly she was becoming more and more confident the longer that the scheme went on. Also, I want to note that Dixon had an annual budget of eight to nine million dollars. So Rita embezzling five point eight million of that budget. She's taking pretty much all of the taxpayers money for herself. Yeah. Rita used this extra income not only to finance her quarter horse operation, but also to support a lifestyle well beyond her $80,000 city salary, purchasing several cars, a second house in Florida, and a $2.1 million motorhome. So once again, this reminds me of the fruitcake fraud story that yeah. I did. Because, like, whereas she's using taxpayer money, he used his company's money, but he very much did the same thing where like he went out and bought all this stuff. Oh yeah. And the longer that these people go on without getting caught doing it, the more ballsy they get with it. <laughs> yeah. And the bigger the purchases get. And I just, I would never have the balls to like buy a second home. No. With somebody else's money, but to each their own, I guess. Rita covered up her embezzlement by claiming that the city's frequent budget shortfalls were due to the state being late in paying its share of tax revenue. She forced city departments to make drastic service cuts in order to keep the budget within reason, a.k.a. keep her lifestyle rolling. As a result, employees went two years or more without raises, and the police department couldn't afford new radios. The most visible effect, however, was on street maintenance. The city was forced to lay off three of its nine street repair workers and cut the rate of maintenance in half. 
In the decade prior to Rita's arrest, only 65 blocks of road were repaired or replaced. In a decade's amount of time. Okay. For most of Rita's tenure, residents assumed either that she inherited her wealth and or that her horse breeding business was profitable in its own right. However, by the onset of the Great Recession, some grew suspicious that Rita was stealing money. But the city's outside auditors, Clifton Gunderson, and local accountant Samuel Card presumed that Rita was honest and signed off on her annual financial statements without concern. For small U.S. cities similar to Dixon, lack of sufficient outside audits was a recurring problem, as third-party auditors could give, at best, limited attention. For most of her tenure as comptroller, Rita had nearly complete control over the city's accounts while few city employees had access to the city's financial statements. So once again, like the fruitcake fraud thing, there just really wasn't any safeguards in place to catch this. Yeah. She should have been the one catching the fraud, and instead she's She's the the one one committing the fraud. (laughs) Yes. In the fall of 2011, while Rita was on an extended vacation, city clerk and acting comptroller Kathy Swanson discovered the fraud. Kathy was used to Rita telling her which bank account she should request from the bank, but while Rita was on vacation, Kathy called the city's bank and requested all of the accounts under the city's name. It was then that Kathy discovered the RSCDA account with 179 deposits and associated check activity none of which was related to city spending. Not recognizing the account as a legitimate account, Kathy alerted Dixon's mayor, James Burke, who in turn contacted the FBI for further assistance. For the next six months, James and Kathy, whose payroll was controlled by Rita, mind you, (laughs) so six months of sitting there twiddling your thumbs being like, I know you guilty bitch, but uh, I like the payday. I can't do anything about this. The two remained silent while the FBI silently built their case in the background. Rita arrived for work on April 17, 2012 to find FBI agents waiting for her. She was arrested later that day and was indicted by a federal grand jury for embezzling $30 million from the city during the previous six years. Rita was charged with one count of wire fraud and was released on a $4,500 bail the next day. On May 2nd, 2012, a superseding indictment charged Rita with embezzling $53 million over the course of 22 years. Okay. If I had $53 million. Right. I would not be working for the city. Believe me, I'd be somewhere else. I mean, granted, that is her paycheck, both literally and stealing. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways. On November 14, 2012, Rita pleaded guilty before Judge Philip Reinhard to a single count of wire fraud. As part of the deal, she also admitted to money laundering by using the embezzled money to finance her horse operation. Rita was required to forfeit more than $53.7 million in cash, assets, and possessions equivalent to the amount that she stole, which is being used to make full restitution to the city. Rita reportedly told FBI agents that some of the money was spent on her horses and their upkeep. Prosecutors sought the forfeiture of her horse farm and 300 horses, in addition to her three homes and a luxury motor vehicle. 
Prosecutors later discovered that Rita's crimes had begun as early as 1988 when she siphoned off $25,000 from the Dixon Sister City program over two years. <laughs> before she opened the account in 1990. Yeah. Had she not pleaded guilty, she would have faced additional charges of bank fraud, wire fraud, and money laundering that could have sent her to prison for the rest of her life. Gray area gray area but she did use taxpayers monies and yeah. if i lived in her like city i would be a pissed yeah pissed so i don't feel i don't know i would agree with the lifetime in jail personally <laughs> yeah um the following month, Dixon's new finance director said that the city had seen an almost $3 million rebound since Rita's arrest, but that the operating budget was still off by $16.6 million. It was also reported that Dixon lost $30 million in operating funds over the prior decade. Well, yeah, there's like no recovering all of that. <laughs> not at all. So not only did Dixon go after Rita, but Dixon, the city, also sued its outside auditors, as well as the city's banker, Fifth Third Bank, for ignoring numerous red flags in Rita's actions. The accounting firm, Clifton Gunderson, paid the most in fines for not detecting the misconduct. In reviewing the case, it's important to note the significant conflicts of interest that existed between Clifton Gunderson and Rita. During the 1980s, Rita played on the accounting firm's softball team, so clearly she had friends there. Yeah. She had friends at the firm and would sometimes get together for lunch or beers after work. And while that's not unethical, it's easy to see that there was a conflict of interest here. It's very easy for her to go to her friends and be like, hey, here's the reports for this year. Just, you know, yeah. sign where you need to sign. Everything's good. I promise. I double checked it. Yeah. Everything's fine. So... Major conflicts of interest here, in my opinion. There are also signs that Clifton Gunderson tried to circumnavigate new regulations. In 2005, it was mandated that auditors could not provide both non-attest services and auditing services. So, Clifton Gunderson then resigned from auditing assignments for Dixon so it could focus on other accounting services for the city. Then they had a CPA from a nearby town of Sterling sign off on the financials to make it appear that a different firm was performing the audit. Meanwhile, they were technically still performing the audit, just yeah. getting somebody else to sign off on it. So, still illegal. Janice Card Accounting paid $1 million to settle the allegations. Clifton Gunderson maintained that it compiled very basic financial information to help Samuel Card after 2005. And that they were... That they were guilty, but they did what they could to help compensate sort of situation. Yeah. Meanwhile, Fifth Third Bank was also charged with the failure to exercise due diligence. For instance, when Rita first opened the fictitious account in 1990, she was the only person to open the account. Many banks, including Fifth Third, require additional people or entities to be involved so as to prevent fraudulent activities. The bank also had access to statements showing that money was being funneled from the city to the fictitious account and was being spent on items that did not involve city business. A major red flag, however, is that Rita would make fictitious checks simply addressed to treasurer, 
rather than under her name or the city's names and deposit them into the fake account. Whereas they should have been addressed to treasurer of the city of Dixon or city of Dixon. Yeah. It just said treasurer. The bank said that they had proper procedures in place in theory, but the city of Dixon thinks otherwise. So at Rita's sentencing on February 14th, 2013, prosecutors sought the maximum sentence of 20 years in federal prison. Their case was bolstered by testimony from uh, from city staffers that Rita used dramatic analogies to force spending cuts in order to cover up her theft, which left Dixon unable to provide the most basic of services. The defense asked for 13 years, saying that Rita had cooperated with authorities in recovering the money. Ultimately, the judge sentenced Rita to 19 years and seven months in prison, three months shy of their of the maximum. Judge Reinhardt noticed noted that she put her passion for raising horses ahead of the need of the city residents who had entrusted her with their money and that a significant prison term was required to restore public confidence. Reinhard was so disgusted with Rita's behavior that he revoked her bail and remanded her to custody rather than allow her to self-report to prison. <laughs> Rita appealed the sentence, but the Seventh Circuit Court of the Appeals upheld it on November no, uh, in November of 2013 Rita's embezzlement has been the subject of academic and professional publications ever since. On September 20th, 2012, Rita was also indicted on 60 state counts of theft outside of the FBI counts, alleging that she stole $11.2 million from April 2010 until the day of her arrest. Mayor James Burke and Lee County State's Attorney Henry Dixon said the state charges, which carried a minimum of six years per count, were a backup in case Rita was acquitted on the federal charges. The state charges were ultimately dropped in April of 2013. Anna Sacco Miller, the new state attorney, said that it didn't make sense to spend taxpayer money on prosecuting Rita as there were virtually no assets left for the state to seize. Anna also said that because Illinois sentencing guidelines require state and federal sentences to run concurrently, Rita would likely serve out any sentence imposed at the state level while she was still in federal prison. Rita was incarcerated at Minimum Security Federal Correctional Institution in Pekin, Illinois. She was originally eligible and scheduled for release after serving 85% of her sentence, which would be 16 years and 8 months, on March 5, 2030. Under the First Step Act, she is receiving good conduct time deductions of 54 days per year off her sentence. In February 2020, her release date was listed as October 20th, 2029. On April 27th of 2020, Rita submitted a request for a compassionate release with the warden of the federal prison camp. On that same day, she filed a motion with the Illinois Northern District Court in Rockford, Illinois as well. Her motion requested home confinement under the First Step Act. And the motion also sought a transfer to home confinement based on a response to the COVID-19 pandemic memo dated March 26, 2020, from the Attorney General William Barr to the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Rita cited that her health issues, including high blood pressure and high cholesterol, and her good conduct while incarcerated, should allow her to be sent home. (laughs) The motion was withdrawn by Rita on May 18, 2020, a few days after Dixon City Council strongly opposed an early release, very publicly. 
A little over a year later, on August 4th, 2021, after serving half of the required 85% of her sentence, so she only served about 8.5 years, Rita was released by the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Not by a court, but by the prison itself. I feel like that's fucked up. Like, if the court assigns you a sentence, then you should have that. It's a court sentence. The prison is not who, like... Yeah. Gave you the sentence. So they should not be able to say that the sentence is up just because. I, I don't know. That's a little messed up in my opinion. But they released her on compassionate grounds due to COVID pandemic to a res- residential re-entry center or to home confinement. Two months later, in October 2021, Rita was reported to live at her brother's 80-acre farm in Illinois. She is overseen by a residential re-entry management field office in Chicago, uh, about one hour and 15 minutes from Dixon. On In February of 2022, her release date was still listed as October 20th of 2029. So although she's released from prison, she's still considered to be serving her sentence under home confinement. As for the city of Dixon, they dramatically changed many of its practices to ensure nobody has the extent of power Rita had to commit fraud for so long ever again. After she was fired, the city hired a new finance director who reorganized the city's finances and restructured the department. She implemented more internal controls so that no one person could complete an entire process by themselves, including her. Today, the city has hired more clerks that specialize in specific areas such as payroll and building. Building. Billing. (laughs) I would hope you wouldn't have to build things as an accountant. (laughs) They didn't teach me that in college, at least. Mail is no longer picked up by one person either. Instead, it's delivered straight to City Hall. So, like, the bills that were coming in, she couldn't just hide them. Yeah. So a lot of things have changed. The city was able to get a good bit of their money back and they've definitely bounced back, but they also had a good stretch of time where they suffered because some woman wanted to raise horses more than she wanted to take care of her constituents. And that is the story of Rita Crunwell. <laughs> Yeah, this definitely has um, fruitcake fraud written all over it. And the uh, city of Pritchard stuff. (laughs) So, yeah, except the lady for the city of Pritchard was out buying Louis Vuitton for herself and shit. And Jordan's for her husband. (laughs) At least this woman was taking care of animals. Yeah. I'll give her that. But (laughs) I guess... uh, We'll kick you off to the last call. Welcome back to another last call. And we've been saying this for a couple weeks now. It is officially spooky season here. I don't care that it's still like 90 degrees outside here in Alabama. In our hearts, it is spooky season. We're literally about to go swimming in my apartment. (laughs) But it is still spooky season. So, in honor of that, I figured let's do some fall facts. So, the first one I have is Autumn Begins. And the, basically, if you follow, like, the calendar and that, you, like, they say, like, your seasons begin on the different equinox or whatnot, like, 
my birthday is technically like the first day of winter, even though it's literally almost the end of December. Like I've never quite gotten that. But, I don't understand seasons. Yeah. But according to, you know, the equinox and that, the like first official day of fall basically is September 22nd or 23rd. It just depends on like, I guess if it's a leap year or whatnot. My, my birthday, December 21st is always the first day of winter. It doesn't matter what. Yeah. <laughs> they say this, but also, like, meteorologists in that state that September 1st is the first day of autumn. So, do with that what you will. But if you go back in, like, kind of history, I guess, or, yeah, I guess it would be history, like, my Greek mythology and that is part of history but if you go back to greek mythology they have like their own way of explaining how autumn began and i that is another thing i love i love greek mythology don't know why it's always been super intriguing to me but in greek mythology the story of autumn is about persephone and it basically began when Persephone, the daughter of, uh, I think it's, I think they pronounce it Demeter. 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 But I think it, I think they say it a different way. I don't know. Anyways, she's the goddess of nature and the harvest. But Persephone was kidnapped by Hades, the god of the underworld. He fell in love with Persephone and wanted her to be his queen. So, uh, Demeter, Demeter however you want to say it, was so upset about her daughter being kidnapped that she caused all the crops of the planet to to basically die until Persephone could return and mark the start of spring. So that explains, like, autumn and mm-hmm. spring. Like I said, there's, like, a whole, like, big long story that's just, like, a synopsis. It's very interesting, like, I would definitely cover it if somebody was like really interested in it. I don't I would probably have to put it on like Patreon or something, but so we all associate pumpkins with like fall. And this fact says we love pumpkins because of how they make us feel, not how they taste. And basically it talks about how You know, we spend money on buying them and decorating with them, carving them, even eating them. I mean, pumpkin pie. I'm not the biggest pumpkin pie fan, but give me some pumpkin roll and I am, oh, I am all set. Um, Studies have shown that what we really love about pumpkins is the sense of nostalgia they make us feel. Pumpkins represent farm life and tradition, which is a romantic idea for many Americans and one we're very attracted to. Basically, we love the idea of pumpkins and the imagery that surrounds them. I do love some pumpkins, but um, 
I don't, I, like, as far as decorating with them, I don't have a lot, like, I know you do. <laughs> I have a lot of fake pumpkins. Yeah, you have, like, a lot of the fake ones. I don't have a lot of them, but I, I'll probably get some this year, but, like, my, uh, like, kind of aesthetic when I'm decorating for Halloween is definitely kind of, like, the, like, dark, gothic, kind of witchy feel. <laughs> I just have a lot of pumpkins because they're cheap. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're all of mine are from Dollar Tree or the Target Dollar Spot. Yeah. Um, another fun fact. According to studies, children born in fall may be more likely to live longer. So, re research has shown that people born in fall are more likely to live to 100 years old. And no, it's not just coincidence, if I can speak. Studies show that the month you're born in can influence the environment you develop in, both inside the womb and out. The environment can do everything from affecting your behavior to your overall health. So I want to know what you have to say about being born in freaking winter, because... Yeah. Maybe that's why I'm a penguin. <laughs> Maybe. Logan calls me a penguin because she's always fucking freezing. And I'm sitting there like, this is nothing. It's fine. I'm comfy. Crank the air down. Right. Meanwhile, in the summer, she's like, I'm finally warm. And I'm like, okay, we need to turn on the AC. Like, the my air conditioning has been living on like 70 and i'm still like dying but logan's like it's a little chilly and i'm like no it's no not. it could be colder fall colors depend on how much sugar is in the leaves certain pigments in leaves and different kinds of trees um that produce pigments basically they're caused by uh, I'm not going to be able to say that. It's some very long name. <laughs> um, and it's basically only produced in the fall when sugars are trapped in leaves. Lots of dry weather and sunlight will lead to more sugars in the leaves. Meaning the leaves will be brighter red. Freezing, meanwhile, stops the process of making red pigments. So. I feel like we don't really see too much of a change in our leaves here. It's it a little golden orange, but we don't get like all the reds and the yellows and you don't get like what you see up like north. Like I know um you know like definitely the farther north you go. I know Gatlinburg definitely around like this time of the year they see a very like heavy increase in mm -hmm. tourism because people want to see the leaves changing in yeah. that. And it's very pretty. It's very fall. You feel very, we did it the one year we went, it was kind of for Sloan's um, wedding anniversary, but it also fell like during that season. It was, it was really pretty. It was definitely like, Definitely uh, got these uh, spooky girls in the season. <laughs> Bobbing for apples was once a British courting ritual. Mm. 
<laughs> right? Bobbing for apples has been a popular... <laughs> I love it. In parentheses, it goes, if kind of disgusting. Thank you. <laughs> Party game for Halloween celebrations for a long time. But it was always about the spooky holiday. It actually started out as a British courting ritual. Males were assigned an apple and females would bob for them, trying to get the right apple for the man she wanted. If she did, it meant they were destined to be together. No, thank you. Right? <laughs> I will be single for the rest of my life. Uh, research shows that um, the fall kind of brings more relationships. A lot of people go from single to in a relationship during the fall season. And I think it's just like our bodies being like, oh, it's about to be cold. I need somebody to snuggle with. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm sitting here good. I don't, I don't like, like my cat will sometimes trap me and I'll be like, sir, you have to move. <laughs> Maybe if I found the right person, I'd feel different. But for now, I'm like, no, I need my space. Don't touch me. <laughs> If you've ever wanted to see the Aurora Borealis, it's the best time to see that. The longer nights and cooler weather make fall Aurora season, according to NASA. So, if you ever wanted to see that, fall is your best time. Pumpkin spice doesn't really taste like pumpkin. Yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> <laughs> but... Pumpkin spice is a mixture of ground cinnamon, nutmeg, dry ginger, and cloves. And if you've ever actually tasted pumpkin, it does not taste anything like that. But pumpkin spice itself is very delicious. As much as I love fall, it is not my favorite like, see, like flavor, I guess. I'm definitely the peppermint mocha bitch. Yeah, I would say that's more winter. <laughs> yes. And that's why I was like, like, everybody's like, oh, fall. Like, whenever I'm like, man, I love fall. I love decorating for Halloween. They're like, oh, you're one of those pumpkin spice bitches. I'm like, no, I'm a peppermint mocha bitch, okay? I'm a pumpkin roll bitch. <laughs> yes, give me a pumpkin roll and I will devour it. I'm a cinnamon roll bitch. Yeah, she is. <laughs> Year round. I don't need a special occasion for a cinnamon roll. <laughs> uh, if you're ever kind of wondering kind of where Halloween costumes came from. Ancient people wore Halloween costumes to scare off ghosts. There you go, Sloan. Just dress up in a Halloween costume when we go ghost hunting. Mm. Halloween is incredibly popular during the fall, and it's a holiday that has been around for a very long time. But centuries ago, it was a little different and more dark. It celebrated human death, and the Celts believed that on the night before Halloween, the boundary between the living and the dead came down. They started wearing scary costumes in order to scare away the ghosts and that they believed walked the earth on Halloween. And now we make it into a fun little, let's teach our kids that it's alright to go up to strangers and ask for candy. <laughs> yes, I did it as a child. And now that I, like, start doing true crime and that, and we tell people, you know, you need to be aware of 
And I'm like, but we teach our kids it's all right to go knock on people's door and ask for candy. I would still have my kids do that. <laughs> but you definitely need to be aware, especially nowadays. You definitely need to be aware. I would go through their candy, make sure none of it's open, take all of the Reese's, <laughs> make sure nothing's poison, take all of the Reese's, you know, the safety things yes. only. Reese's are always bad for kids, so I would just take the fall for them and just, you know, get rid of them altogether. Oh, gosh. Is there anything else that's a little fun here? That little fact also reminds me of, like, the whole plot line of Halloween Town. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's when it's easiest for them to travel to Halloween Town, mm -hmm. so yeah. There's a lot of other, like, random things. Like, they do a lot of fact, like, research i guess talking about like kids that are born in fall saying that they're smarter and taller and then i'm like yeah 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 all right i was born basically on christmas like <laughs> well, also, my birthday sucks okay also i feel like that's difficult to say because you're comparing kids that are almost a year older than some of the other kids in class so of course they're taller and quote unquote smarter because like they've had more time and if they've been like watching you know educational tv programs or if their parents have been working with them with their alphabet and shit like that like of course they're going to be smarter right? they have months of advancement versus the spring children I was short, and I'm still short, but I was still one of the motherfucking smartest kids in that classroom. <laughs> and I'm a spring child. Bitch. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm a little triggered by that fact. Right. I'd say I'm middle of the road as far as height. I'm not tall, but I'm not short. I mean, I think it just depends on who you're around also. And genetics cannot put past the fact that it's very rare that if your parents are not tall that you're going to be a skyscraper so alright but those are my little fun fall facts there's a lot more but like I said there's only a couple that I was like ooh I want to do that but um if you want to know some more fall facts or some other you know I guess, um, what's the word, um, season facts. <laughs> we will definitely probably do some come here winter in that, but I guess for now. Thanks for hanging out with us today. You can always find us on our social media accounts. We have Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. They are all tequila she wrote across the board. You can also email us at tequilasherote at gmail.com with any case suggestions, beer recommendations, fun facts, to say hello, I love you, whatever. <laughs> right. We also have our Patreon for as little as $2 a month. You get ad-free episodes. You also get a bonus episode. Easiest way to find us is by going to patreon.com backslash tequilasherote should take you directly to our page if you can't find us that way go to our socials click our link tree and there should be a direct link once you click on patreon that will send you to our page 
again, $2 a month, you get some little bonus content. And then if you sign up for some of the other tiers, you get even more bonus content. So definitely give it a little check and see if it's something that you might be interested in. And thanks for riding on the Hot Mess Express today. Toot toot. Beep beep. Thank <laughs> you.